I realized I missed the stimulation of being an editor, being able to foster the voices of others. Hello, and welcome to The Common Room, a series of conversations between members of the Yale English Department. I'm Derek Green. Today, we're talking to poet and nonfiction writer Megan O'Rourke. She's the author of the best-selling memoir, The Long Goodbye, and the poetry collections, Sun and Days, Once, and Half-Life. Her forthcoming book is titled The Invisible Kingdom, Reimagining Chronic Illness. Megan is the recipient of numerous awards, including a Guggenheim Fellowship, a Radcliffe Fellowship, and a Whiting Award in nonfiction. A graduate of the Yale English Department, class of 97, Megan is the editor of the Yale Review and teaches writing and editing to both graduate students and undergraduate students in the English Department's creative writing program. Thank you, Megan, for joining us today in The Common Room. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That is quite a bio, and you've done a lot in very different areas. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background? I knew early in my life that what I most wanted to do in the world was write, but I didn't know that you could do that with your life. (laughs) So it was a kind of inchoate longing that I had. And that longing really began, I remember clearly in eighth grade, you know, writing a short story for an assignment. And I had that experience that, you know, Elizabeth Bishop described so well as a kind of sort of self-forgetfulness of becoming completely immersed in writing this story, in that moment, I thought, oh God, I would really do anything to have that experience of kind of self-forgetful concentration, you know, immersion in something else. But it wasn't really until I got to Yale as an undergraduate, I think, that I started to realize, oh, maybe one could make a life, you know, reading and writing. And I, in fact, thought I would go to graduate school to become an English PhD student, but I quite luckily applied for an internship at the New Yorker magazine that was at the time a paid internship in which you had to type in all of the handwritten editorial changes that the various editors had made. So this was 1996, I think the summer of 1996, and all of the editors at New Yorker would handwrite their changes. And it was the job of, you know, college students like me to input those changes. And it was this incredible training and editing. And I thought, wow, if you could have a job doing this and writing, this would be the coolest job ever. And so, in fact, I did become an editor at The New Yorker. I edited nonfiction and fiction and worked in the literary department first as an assistant to Bill Buford, a famous editor at the time, and who taught me a lot about what I know. And I do remember, though, at that time, complaining to my mother, oh, I just don't have enough time to write. I really wish I could write more. I was writing a book of poems. And she said to me, I think you might alternate all of your life between mostly editing and mostly writing. And she she proved to be right. So I, I worked there for a while. I then worked at Slate Magazine for a while, the Paris Review. Had a period of about 10 years where I was mostly writing, and now I'm here. Is there a story behind how you chose Yale to come and be an undergraduate? And you, by the way, are the first faculty member alum that we've had on the podcast. I was lucky enough to be able to consider colleges like Harvard and, and Yale and Williams and Amherst when I was a student. And so those were on my list of, you know, places to visit. And I can happily say that I visited Harvard and I thought I really wanted to go to Harvard. And then I visited Yale and I fell in love. I just fell in love. And I think what I fell in love with was (laughs) everyone was so serious. (laughs) But in a good way, like that the classes were full of like very, very deep engagement. And I just remember visiting, I think, a directed studies class 
with a former friend of mine from high school. And the students were kind of ribbing the teacher a little bit. I can't remember. They were talking about political. It was a poli-sci class. They ended up touching on current topics. And, and I just remember there was this kind of good-hearted back and forth about real topics in real life, but based on the texts that they were reading. And that was really exciting. And now you're back. Is there a story behind that return? I, um, as I mentioned, used to work at Slate magazine. I used to edit poetry for the Paris Review at The New Yorker. And I had really stepped away to write my book, The Long Goodbye. And then I had about 10 years where I was primarily writing and teaching graduate, teaching students in the creative writing program at NYU mainly and also at Princeton. And I loved teaching. I had really fallen in love with it. But I was teaching a lot and my book was going very slowly, the chronic illness book. And so I was at that particular juncture where as a writer, I hate to say it, but you are sitting at your desk and you're doing a lot of deep thinking, but you're also procrastinating, right? You're kind of, in order to get that thinking done, you're kind of rearranging your bookshelf and you're, you're doing this and that. And I realized that I missed the stimulation of being an editor and the sense that comes of being able to use your own interest and passion about literature, about writing, about arguments to foster the voices of others, as it were, right? And I think I was at that stage in writing a book where I was very tired of my own voice. <laughs> and very happily, um, Lanny Hammer in the English department, who had been my uh, senior thesis advisor and one of my professors, wrote to me to say, hey, you know, we're doing a search for the new editor of the Yale Review, and would you like to apply for that role? And there's a little bit of luck to this all because I was pregnant with my second child and I had absolutely horrible morning sickness. And so all I was doing was throwing up. This is probably TMI for your listeners. But the one thing I did in the three months that I had morning sickness was write my job application to this job. And I managed to get that done somehow. And um, thank you to my son for letting up just enough to <laughs> let me get that done. You wear a lot of hats here, teacher, editor, writer. And as you mentioned, you have a couple of young kids. <laughs> What's an average day like for you as you try to put all those pieces together? I tend to wake up really, really early before anyone's awake and I write, which the 25-year-old me, even the 32-year-old me would have been horrified to hear because I was previously someone who hated the early morning. But, you know, take my kids to school, get them off, have, you know, conversations about tigers and how sad it is that the dinosaurs are extinct for about two hours currently. And then I sometimes get to write and work a little bit more on the project I'm working on currently. And then I usually come to the office where I, we've moved offices. We're now pretty central at Church and Grove, and we have a really robust student program here at the Review now. And so I spend the day talking to graduate student fellows, undergraduate fellows about publishing magazines. We just had a meeting about what is our website? How is our website going to cover books? How do we want to add value to this stream of constant commentary that's out there? What do we do that's different? How do we contribute to the conversation by finding the silent spaces, by finding new writers, by finding voices? So we had this really fun conversation in which we played around with rubric names and how do we find a playful point of entry for new readers who may think the Yale Review is not for them, right? Because this is one of our big concerns is building an inclusive, dynamic, current readership. I do things like that, and then I get to talk to writers on the phone and work with them on their pieces. And, you know, there's always a sense that I haven't gotten to everything I wanted to get to. It's really, really busy. We're basically trying to kind of reimagine this 200-year-old publication, storied publication, as a digital publication and retain some of what was really excellent about that sort of slow thinking that a quarterly magazine can do, right? The slow editing, slow thinking, but bring it, make it faster. 
Megan, what's on the horizon for you? You got something coming up that excites you or several things coming up that <laughs> might excite you? Well, I am trying to work on this long poem, but actually what is on the immediate horizon is doing proofs for my new book, The Invisible Kingdom, which is coming out March 1st. I'm really excited. And it has been, I think, eight to 10 years in the making. Let's see, I started it in 2011. Yeah, 10, 10 full years in the making. And it's about what are called contested chronic illnesses. I'm really trying to kind of codify and explain and give the history of a whole series of illnesses, including MECFS or myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue syndrome, post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome or chronic Lyme, and in fact, now long COVID. So I'm really trying to talk about what these illnesses are, what they have in common. And in it, I tell my own story of kind of really, really sick with one of these diseases and then kind of overcoming it to some degree. But in, in a way, what the book is really about is kind of the chronic encounter, what it is to live in an ongoing manner with a, with a disease that the medical system often stigmatizes. So that's what I'm particularly interested in. Something for us to look forward to also. Thanks again, Megan, for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And thank you for listening to The Common Room. Our producer is Robert Scaramuccia, class of 19, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. 